Okay, everybody, welcome to the Professional Services Pursuit, the number one podcast in the services industry, featuring expert advice, insights, and guests from across the services world. I'm your host, Matt Finch, and my very special guests today are three amazing people, amazing people in my personal life, but also in the services world in general, Ray Granger, Roger Neal, and Sean Crafts, who are the founders of Mavenlink. So incredibly special guests we've got here today. Thank you, gentlemen, for joining us. Pleasure. Thank you, Matt. Well, this episode, we're going to be exploring two things, and I think this is going to be a really cool conversation. So current challenges and future trends in the services industry. Now, we've been warned already by our teams to keep this fairly short. We could probably do this over about four or five hours and maybe uh, you know a couple of beers too, but we're going to try and get to some key points here. If you're a services leader within the services industry, what's happening today that should, you should be taking note of? What are the challenges you might be facing? What solutions might be out there? And then we're going to talk about the future as well. So um, let's jump right into it, right? So the services industry, incredibly complex. The change that's happened over the last couple of years as well has just been completely game-changing in terms of the way services is delivered. Everything's remote, now it's hybrid. Just some incredible forces that are shaping the services industry today that are different from two years ago, 10 years ago, You know, from the times that you guys were running services operations, now moving into a software company. You know, Your guys' experiences are going to be really, really deep here. Thinking about the first... The first place I want to go here is is people. I mean, services is inherently a people business, right? It's all about putting the right people in the right place at the right time and, and everything that goes with that. So, Ray, I'm going to start with you. If you were a VP of services and you were dealing with, with people-related challenges today, with everything going on in the world, you know, what would be some of the key trends that you would, you would uh, see that you were being challenged with? Well, first, I would agree with you that over the last several years that the services industry is being shaped by some really powerful forces. Principal among those are digitalization of everything, right? Software is everywhere. And the uh, workforce mix based on the explosion of technology and the skills required in order to implement new technologies within professional services for their clients. And so I think the key challenge that most services firms face is a lack of the right talent at the right time at the right place in order to meet client needs. Yeah, excellent. So in in terms of the, you know, the the soul for that. I mean, there must be 101 different things you could do. I and mean, if you were a, you know, a, a VP of services at a software company or a, a consulting organization, how would you go about looking at that problem? Like, you know, what what things would you have done in the past? And then now that you think you, that, that would tackle those problems? Well, I think the, the past is very different than the current, right? In the past, you would have a, you could have a broader set of offerings around a few technologies in which today your clients are asking you to implement many, many new technologies, which you will not have the people to go do. So it's requiring services firms to kind of be binary, either very, very specialized where they can have consistent demand for the skills that they have or the skills that they they want to acquire, or they need to be very large firms and acquire companies with those niche specialties in order to move fast in the market. So you're kind of on two ends of the spectrum, I think. Yeah. So you, you raised an, a really interesting point there about, you know, I mean, there's always been this console, concept of a, of a subcontractor that you work with when you, when you need someone. But I mean, how, in the current climate, how difficult is it to go and find somebody that's available with the right skill? I mean, that, that must be a really tough thing to do. And historically, always probably has been as well, right? Yeah, and it's increasing, right? So the, a typical services firm might have anywhere from 40 
to 70% of their workforce is now a subcontracted uh, entity, right? either individual or, or firm. And that continues to increase for the reasons I mentioned earlier. <clears throat> and that's becoming increasingly hard because everybody's busy. I mean, it was really a full, at full you know, capacity right now in the industry. And so people are having to form new relationships, break old ones, reconstitute new ones on an ongoing basis, much higher frequency than they had before. Well, and, 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 and as Ray was mentioning too, as, as these things, th- those things start to compound. So as, as there's this growth with subcontractors and the specialization Ray was talking about in general, now, now the ability to engage with them starts to get more and more complicated. Like what you might have needed to know years ago was, I trust this person. I've got some paperwork in place with this person. I believe they deliver good work. Now you got to know really specifically what skills do they have, track those and keep those updated because the, the, as Ray also mentioned, like the timing of these projects become shorter and shorter duration. It's not just is Sean generally available. It's is Sean available next week on Tuesday for this half, you know, half week. It gets a lot more complicated to think about and manage those subcontractors too. Definitely. And I think as well, like if you're a, some services leader, resource manager and, and you're tasked with with you know filling out that that demand with the right people the the concept of um you know tribal knowledge i think is super interesting because if you if you're if you know that that is your your usp as one of those people that that's what means that you are unique in your organization because hey i've got all of that information in my head i know everybody's skills i know their availability in 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 you know kind of generally i know the usual contractors we go out to but is that tribal knowledge you know, previously, it, it's a benefit to the individual, but is it really a benefit to the organization? Because does that create risk if that tribal knowledge is only in somebody's head and not not in in any kind of system? You're you're absolutely right, Matt. The tribal knowledge does often benefit the individual, but it, it really doesn't benefit the the firm. And you know, as Ray was talking about, kind of if we rewind, you know, some number of years, it's a lot of different cobbled together technologies, and what cobbled together technologies don't do very well is, is really communicate, you know, across one another. So visibility has been, you know, a real problem for the industry, even if the knowledge isn't tribal and it is captured somewhere. The problem is it might be in a system you're not looking at right now. So, you know, therefore it kind of goes back to tribal knowledge again. Yeah. And I think we see that in a lot of the, the clients we serve as Mavenlink is transmitting that tribal knowledge into a, a reusable and scalable system and, and environment. So Roger, as you, as you were just talking there, um, being the kind of solutions man here, you're the, 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 the man of the product, let's say. How would you solve some of those problems that, that we'd seen that we've talked about so far? Yeah, it's a great question. You know, one of the, the first steps here was to, you know, really centralize the information as we were just talking about. If the, the opposite of kind of good organized information is, you know, what we're talking about, sort of tribal knowledge, disparate systems, things not talking to one another, um, you know, a kind of combined system where you could really get the visibility and then people could see the gaps and see, you know, the trends and, uh, you know, really get visibility into the business um, was one of the first major steps, I think, for, you know, our industry of professional services to, to really kind of take it to the next level. Yeah, absolutely. And I suppose when you're in that kind of role and your world revolves around your tribal knowledge and the 17 spreadsheets that you probably use to kind of glue all of this together, do you feel like technology solving these problems is a threat to you or is it going to help you? 
I think technology solving these problems is is absolutely a help for uh, for the professional services business. If you really kind of take it to the end here and say, hey, we've we've got you know really good information centralized in one place, or at least communicated across you know maybe a couple systems versus what Ray was describing, where it might be eight, 10, 12 systems with, you know, a bunch of spreadsheets to your point, Matt, um, you know, that, that really helps. And, you know, one trend that we see in this, in this whole realm as well is it's a much more employee first culture within the firm too. So it's not just, do we have the right person, but it's also, does that person, you know, really want to do this and will it advance their career? And if all of that can be combined um, into a system where you know we can begin making recommendations to the business uh, because we have the data, we have the information, and now you know we can kind of come back with you know different career-minded as well as client-minded recommendations. You know that's a that's a perfect world. Matt, can I pick up on a, a couple of those points? Right, just to double down and, and emphasize. If you look at the role, Roger alluded this to you know, employee choice as part of it, but the the person who's responsible for trying to deploy people in a professional service room or the people that are responsible for that who may have relied on tribal knowledge in the past. One, you mentioned it doesn't scale, which it doesn't. But the importance of putting the right person at the right place at the right time, either an employee or a subcontractor, if they have the best fit to meet the needs for, for whatever the project is. The importance of the resource planner in the organization is, is increasing, I think, exponentially, uh, because not only does it satisfy the current need to a client and project and you know immediate revenue for the firm, but you're also determining the future capabilities you'll build as a company, because deploying that person to the next thing that it's important for them to work on is that in line with the capabilities I'm trying to build as a company. And so the resource planner, by having all this consolidated information that Roger talked about is just so necessary today to make these important choices. So do you, do you feel re- kind of resource management as a as a practice is becoming more centralized or is it becoming more distributed or or and which which way do you think it should go? I, I think it's 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 both. It's it's uh, you need central capability that makes a resource planning and management consistent across the firm. And it has to be distributed all the way down to the employee having choice or input and knowing what their options are, right? So it's a very diffuse mechanism that all needs to rely on a consistent information base. You, um, Roger, you raised an interesting point that we we expanded a little bit there around kind of career growth. And what I certainly what I've seen recently is people taking their career growth into their own hands. You know, it's not a case of waiting on the corporate ladder for the right opportunity. It's like, I'm going to head out there do a course on some, you know, some online thing, either free or otherwise. And I'm going to come back to my organization with a new skill and I'm going to look to try and deploy that new skill in, in, in a certain way. If you're a resource manager, like how do you keep up with that kind of skill development cycle where people are taking that into their own hands? It's not just, I went to college, I have that skill and now I've got X years experience in the field. I'm going, you know, do a course on programming or architecture or, you know, whatever that might be just tomorrow and then come back with a new skill to the workforce and then put new demands on my organization to, to find me somewhere to go. Otherwise, I'm going to go to this other place over here that might give me that opportunity. Is there like a fluid talent pool now, way more fluid talent pool than we've ever seen before? Or am I making a big assumption there? So I, I think I think the numbers say that, you're, that it absolutely is more complicated than it's ever been. You know, if you look at 
you know, the, the number, I was looking at things earlier today, like the number of uh, businesses who have turned down work in the last year, it's like almost 70%. You look at like the, the time, the time to deliver project-based work for an average services company of over 90 days to start a project. Like those are not numbers that any services leader wants to see. They're, 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 they're hitting those, they're hitting up against those thresholds because they're getting it in both directions. Like there's this increase increased specialization just in time requirement from the clients. And then there's all of these skills and specializations and updates and maintaining that they probably don't have visibility to on their employee side. And that it, it really puts them in a really tight bind in the middle of that. And then the resource managers, and we talk to them every day, are really feeling it in lots of different ways. Like they'll hear you'll hear capacity and resource planning very generically. Yeah. You'll hear time to revenue. You'll hear all these different numbers and things that their leaders are pressing down on them they're struggling to solve for because it's still a lot of times, as you mentioned, it's spreadsheets, picking up the phone, calling, talking, it, it doesn't scale. Yeah. Hey, you, you mentioned an interesting point there. I, I've, I've kind of got this concept in my head of employee empowerment is kind of more, is, is more, more powerful than ever. Do you think that there's, there's a channel to, for, for, for some kind of services employee or provider to choose more of what they do in the future? You know, I want to work on that project next. That's come. I, I can see that project's coming up in six weeks' time. I finish this other one in five weeks' time. I'll take a week off, but I want to be on that project. Please, please choose me to be on that project. Is there a concept of like employees becoming more like that? They're, they're pitching for the work that they want, as opposed to sitting and waiting to be told for what they do next. Yeah, yeah it has to be. It absolutely has to be. And and I think I think the firms are going to push more and more of this down to the employees for the benefit of retention. Mm. Like when you're looking at, when you're looking at the, I know, pick your number, 40%, 50%, 30%, whatever the number of people right now they're looking for another job. Everybody's thinking about retention. Yeah. And if you're thinking about retention and satisfaction, you don't want to be the one dictating what your people are doing and not giving them a choice and a voice in that. So I, I think they're going to, almost the retention challenge is going to force this more and more. And I think it's a positive for the employees and the business. Like allow, allow, you know, it's, it's the, the updating, the, the constant, you know, improvement related to skill development, identification on the employee side of what matters to the business with so some visibility from the employee or down to the employee, here's what we have available. Some way of then for the employees to tap into that and also raise their hands. Like, hey, I've got these skills and or, hey, that's a skill I'd love to have. I don't have it yet. Back to your earlier comment, Matt, go learn that skill. Yeah. So then next week or next month, I can raise my hand and, and make sure I, I, I make myself available. Yeah, to add a couple of points on that, Tim, if you think about it, the desire on the individual contributor, you know, consultant to work on things that are of high interest to them has always been there, especially in the early stages of their career. It's, it's skills acquisition, right? That's what they're really, really seeking to, to build up some expertise. The challenge is that they, they only had a limited view of what the demand for their skills were, right? Based on, you know, the tribal knowledge of the resource planner or, you know, their project manager or supervisor or somebody like that. And so given the, the, I'll call it the volatility, the, the short duration project that Sean mentioned and the frequency of change of moving on to the next thing and having the firm perform better by giving people choice and having them staff themselves essentially, right? To move more fluidly through the organization and giving visibility then across the entire demand spectrum is absolutely necessary today. So I think that the firms who, who operate in that way can meet both objectives much better than yeah, they did before. I, I, I think you've nailed it. Just to pick 
pick up on Ray's comments too. It's again, almost back to visibility, you know, Matt, if I can give you visibility into what I, you know, aspire to do and maybe some of the skills that I went to training for, and you can give me visibility into some of the projects that you're staffing, um, you know, we can create a bit of a symbiotic relationship and I can begin as Ray put it to really work on the things that, you know, drive my skills forward um, even more quickly, you know, in the context of client work. So, you know, it, it really does create, I think Sean mentioned, you know, kind of a win-win between the business and the employee. And it creates tenure as well, where, you know, now I've been here, I've been, you know, building all these skills and, you know, I have a lot of trust in the organization. And, you know, this is a place I can really see staying for a while and growing my career versus just having to leave to the next services firm that might be doing work somewhere else. Yeah, it's such a fine balance, isn't it? Because as 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 employers, you need to provide growth opportunities and 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 you know individual happiness levels, retention levels. You know, people want you want people to work for your company, but at the end of the day, as a services firm, you you have to still deliver as much money margin. You have responsibility to your your shareholders, right? So, you know, how how do you balance the the two together? And Roger, maybe a question for you if we were thinking from a technological perspective, how do we bring in all of the different possibilities that any project in any point in time could could be staffed on and then taking into account, well, there's actually always more than one project happening at one point in time anyway. Like if you think about a resource manager and the number of computations it's going to take and the combinations of different people in places and skills and all the rest of it, I mean, how do you, how do you manage that? I mean, as a, as a resource manager, you're doing that in your head, but how can we do that technologically in the future? What kind of things are, uh, are we seeing out there from a technological perspective? Yeah, well, you know me well, so I'm going to start with an old joke. You know, it's a sheer point about being expensive. You know, the old joke is a CFO came to the table and said, hey, this training program looks pretty expensive. What if we train all these people and they leave? And, you know, the, the retort is, well, what if we don't and they stay? Right. So it's it's really the notion, you know, as, as we look to the industry-based kind of resource recommendations, which I think you're alluding to, and factoring in, you know, not only what projects and kind of all the combinations of skills these projects require, which drives kind of hiring and subcontracting, as we were talking about before, but then also kind of what the individual employee wants to do. You know, the combinations are, are pretty staggering. And this is why it's so critical to get out of, you know, the tribal knowledge world and kind of the manual world where we're just going to put John over here and Jane over there and into a world where, you know, the computer is actually making, you know, the, the staffings. Um, as, we, as we look at it, you know, and, and the airplane industry, the oil and gas industry, even the NFL, um, you know, they, they couldn't do all the different team staffings and kind of week by week plays in the NFL's case, or, you know, all the pilot and crew, you know, machinations and kind of Denver to here and New York to there, you know, on a sheet of paper. You know, why is the professional services industry any different when we're thinking about hundreds of projects and thousands of people, you know, in a, in a mid-market firm? 
Yeah, yeah. Could you imagine that? You know, NFL version one dot XLS gets deleted in the whole NFL <laughs> stuff, right? right. <laughs> I'm sure it probably happened in 1968. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe. Yeah. What's well, the difference of you know staffing a team to go to Mars? Right. It's going to be months and months and months on end, and maybe years versus you know short hops between uh, you know LA and San Francisco, and have to figure all that. That's what's happened in the services industry: short duration projects, you know, sort of shorter hops, which leads you to you know think about things more in a supply supply chain orientation. Yeah. Well, and there's also, you know, COVID globalization, right? Suddenly you can be literally anywhere in the world. As long as you're happy to get up at the right time zone, you could be anywhere in the world and work on a project that previously you might have, oh gosh, I've got to spend, you know, three weeks in Boston and then another five weeks in India and then two weeks in Australia. I do it all from my house now. You know, maybe yeah, I'm going to get up at a different time of the day, but I can do it all from home. So It's, that, it's rare that location incredible. will be a consideration in staffing anymore. Well, that's what I was right. going to ask you. You know, one of the things we want to get onto is kind of future trends, but I, I was, we've, we've seen it already. This kind of concept of digital transformation we've been selling for decades and COVID did it in the course of three days, right? Where, where we all disappeared and went from home. But it's so true what the future holds now. When you think about optimizing resources, I agree. I think location is going to sink far down the list. You know, got an internet connection? Do you have a, do you have a phone line? Then great, you can be on the project. Right. You know, so in, people in have to right have visibility then across all of the potential exactly. resources yeah. all at the same time. There's yeah. no more, I'm responsible for these 100 people. Everybody's responsible for the entire firm all yeah. at the same time. Yeah, definitely. I think added into that would be, you know, this gig economy style, you know, where people are just more and more becoming contractors effectively, you know, that they are, they are an individual business. They are themselves and they are selling their own time to whichever organization they want to sell that time to. You know, I, I feel kind of talk about future in in a second, but you know, future marketplace for contractors to tap into and, and put their hand up for a project that they might see, you know what thought thoughts on that let's talk let's talk about the future for a second sean you were going to jump in there where, where, where would you see future trends heading when it comes to you know resource management and the services industry yeah well, and i think all the things we've been talking about are really going to drive us to it, it's it's almost a perfect storm like you get to a point where you've got this this specialization you've got People who don't have the tools. I think one of our uh, study, or sorry, Forrester came out and said 70% of people don't have a tool. So we're not just making this up that people yeah. are doing on spreadsheets and tribal knowledge. That's what's happening. Yes. It, it's a cobbler's children problem. They haven't, they haven't invested in these technologies. Then you've got this, this layer on growth and demand. So expected to be a large demand growth year in the services world. Layer in employees, probably going to have the highest churn FTE churn year in the last 15, 20 years, you're in a situation now from a staffing perspective where these firms are really, really up against it. And I think, and we, we feel it uh, directly in the conversations we're having, there's this strong understanding of, I need to get a better handle on this broader pool of resources yeah. that I could potentially bring to bear to solve these problems. Everybody's feeling it. Now, how they do that is the, is the next step. Like the, the future of this is how do we get beyond just our FTEs, our, you know, our everyday contractors and really start to analyze and look at and have much more visibility as Roger was talking about into what are these pools look like beyond that immediate, Hey, I work with these people every day. How do I tap into? Sam, who's got 50 people that they call, Joe, who's got 20 people that they call, a database over there that's got a thousand people. And we see it. Like, you know, yeah. 
we see on average somewhere between five to 10 X the number of actual engaged contractors at any given time. There's a five to 10 X pool behind that of people that are somewhere connected to the organization. As loose as in Sam's head to as detailed as they've got, you know, consulting agreements in place, NDAs and everything else. That's a lot of people and you you, firm of a hundred people might have a thousand that track and manage on a spreadsheet. Now you go up in size, it just gets more and more complicated. Yeah, it's exponentially worse. I think that there's, there's a phrase I've heard a lot, you know, liquid workforce, right? Where that gray area between supply and demand and who has the demand and who provides the supply is now so liquid to use the word, but such a gray area and, 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 and such, no, such kind of normalization behind you, you don't know the person you're sat next to on the project. Are they a contractor? Are they an employee? Who cares? Doesn't matter. We're, we're doing the job and, and, and we're executing on it. And then we move on to the next project. And I think that, that those traditional boundaries of an organization, we have a hundred staff and I can't do more than the capacity of my hundred staff, plus maybe a few contractors here or there to fill a gap now becomes just blown, o- blown wide open. Right. So, you know, I think it's a super interesting concept. Yeah, it's, it's, and it, I think it's more than a concept. Mm. It, it is a reality now in the way that firms must operate. Yep. So it's the way sort of a services firm will look like in a networked economy. They have to have much more visibility into the broader labor supply that they could tap into than they've ever had. And technology can be the facilitator of all of that because it's going to be about speed. It's and big, sometimes yeah. people might be reluctant to leverage subcontractors I'll call it too much, right? Given the potential margin erosion with that. But if you could do it at speed, shared demand and supply information much more readily, you can contract for a certain amount of demand to a certain part of the supplier base at better pricing. And so it becomes, you know, a, a moot yep. as to whether you, you have an employee or use yep. a contractor yep. because speed and technology has enabled pricing. Yeah. A yeah. match. Yeah. And, and there's always been that kind of, you know, time to revenue versus margin balance, right? Well, we could make more money if we waited longer, but then it's going to be another six weeks until we can recognize the revenue and deliver the project. Right. So, you know, I mean, that, that's having that at your fingertips, I think is, is, um, fascinating stuff. Well, and I wonder too, as Ray was talking, like you mentioned earlier, this idea that services can now be delivered from anywhere, anytime. Mm. Like, does that, does that, do you start to look at the, the, the cost of contracting and does that come down over time? You know, you don't have to travel. They don't have it, 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 everything on both directions. Like they don't have to charge as much because they don't have to get themselves to so-and-so to actually deliver the service, cost of travel, availability just in time. It's, it's not as expensive for me as a resource to do marginal work because I can just jump onto a Zoom from my bedroom. Yeah. So now I don't need to charge the certain rates actually to cover my costs. Like yeah. I wonder if the actual cost well, to deliver those subcontractors might come down. By the nature of you know, more people moving into that contract world because technology makes it easy, the more people there are, you know, supply the demand. price comes down, supply and demand. It's, you know, classic economics, right? Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Roger, any thoughts on this one? Yeah, you know, one one of the trends I think we touched on a little bit is that, you know, we've been tracking for a long time is, you know, client demands increasing, but also speed of work increasing. And, and Ray, Ray touched on speed a little bit, speed of delivery, et cetera. And so if, if you think about increased demands, but then also shorter duration, kind of quick engagements, you get right into the concept of speed, this notion of having to be able to find that you know, perfect resource at the perfect time. And just kind of tying that together with what Sean was just saying too, you know, if now the new expectation and the new world 
is is one that's you know much more comfortable with distribution of resource. You know, we we actually just benefited a little bit on speed. It doesn't have to be somebody you know out of the New York office or out of the Los Angeles office. It could be you know somewhere, somebody anywhere, and you know that that really just kind of opens up this notion of of the network as well. As we as we think about our you know supply partners as a firm, yeah, and and Roger maybe maybe a follow on question if if you were a services leader services organization right now, who who are going to be the kind of winners and losers in in this in, in terms of the people that grow quicker than the ones that maybe don't adopt the technology? You know, how, how, what what advice would you give to somebody kind of think thinking, gosh, how do I manage this in the future? It's entirely different to what I'm used to. Sure. Uh, maybe I'll hit on both topics we've we've really been kind of considering today uh, during the during the podcast here. Number one, you know, the the winners are going to be the ones who are you know really thinking about the the skills that they have internally um, as well as in their in their network. You know, just really kind of nurturing the the skills and and making sure they have you know, interesting work for for everybody to engage in. Um, and then kind of the second part of that, which we're talking about now. Uh, is just this notion of you know being able to tap into a flexible network. I can't just give Ray a call and ask him, you know, hey, do you know anybody? Which is kind of the old way of doing things. Like it, it has to be you know much more liquid, as you put it, where you know we have kind of these known suppliers, and you know we can tap into them quickly. Perhaps we know their availability quickly, um, so we know who to tap into and. And, and begin to staff. But, you know, thinking about that in terms of a little bit more automation and a little bit less manual, I think is going to separate the uh, the winners from the losers. Absolutely. Ray, any more, any thoughts on that? What I would just want people to really think about is that they're, they're now living in a supply chain oriented world in services. Uh, and they didn't need to before, right? You could deploy people on long-term projects. They're going to be staffed. You're making a ton of money. That world has changed. And so you need to be able to somehow very rapidly understand all the demand signals for the potential services that you could provide and where all the supply is. So you have to be a supply aggregator at this point. New suppliers, an ongoing capability within the firm around identifying new suppliers based on how your offerings are emerging, and then some way to really rapidly facilitate matching. Right, so you can move that in a supply chain oriented fashion. Yeah, interesting. I think Ray just my piece would be Ray just made the perfect argument for it. You need a centralized resource management function. Yeah, like we we know less than twenty percent of the firms out there today have that. Yeah, how do you do all those things Ray just described without having it as a functional group inside the organization? Yeah. And uh, the value you're going to get out of that. We touched on a lot of it, resource, I'm sorry, employee satisfaction, the things you can do there from a business development perspective, the type of work you can respond to and how quickly you can respond to it, margin improvements. The, the, the business case is there in spades. Mm. You just you just have to take advantage of it and, and, and make the investment and have that group that's dedicated to actually delivering all those things yeah. we just touched yeah. on. And and what about the the kind of connection to you know the 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 sales funnel? You talked about demand signals, right? You know our sales organization that connectivity to marketing campaigns versus then what goes into a sales funnel versus what gets executed and then what needs to be staffed and delivered. You've got to put those signals way further out. It's not just to hey, tell us when you're two weeks away from signing a deal and we'll talk about the staff. You need to be way further out in the funnel, right? Would you agree? 
Yes, I think Roger highlighted this earlier about this idea of consolidated information. Right now, in most services companies, they, they might have a good demand capture mechanism, whether you're using Salesforce or some other CRM, and they might have an okay, I'll call it financial capture, capturing time or the activity of people. Those two things are very separate, and most of the availability is captured in some you know, time system that's offline from any demand signals. And so what's lacking is this operational infrastructure in between all of that. Most firms lack it. It's usually uh, spreadsheets and people. And thinking about it from demand all the way through supply availability, all the way out through your suppliers, this supply chain thinking, and then the systems that go along with that is really where people need to be putting attention to. Yeah. Yeah. Fascinating stuff. Just as we kind of wrap up, I want to have a, a little bit more fun. So we're going to do some sort of quick fire type things here, but you know, just kind of final thoughts from each of you, just kind of going around the table here. Sean, what's the number one thing you'd want people to take away from this discussion that we've had today? Oh, I just, I already hit it. Did you have a centralized resource management function? You know, enable it with the right technology and you'll see all kinds of returns. Yeah. Ray, what about you? Get some supply chain operations research thinkers in your business. Right. Start applying these principles to to the services industry. Yeah, love it. Roger, what about you? I'll take a technology spin since that's my uh, wheelhouse. You know, we we know technology moves quickly. Arthur C. Clarke once said, "Any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic." Um, and I think the you know the professional services industry has been underserved for years, um, and they're they're about to see a, a lot of technological technological change. Yeah, absolutely. A little, a little magic coming their way. Yeah, absolutely. And a little bit of magic. <laughs> Roger the magician. Yeah, absolutely. Underserved by technology, underserved by podcasts. Guys, I can't thank you enough for being on the show today. It's been such a great amount of fun. I know the three of you, we could kind of carry on talking for hours and hours. This, this could go on. Maybe we'll do an episode two and episode three and episode four. We'll, we'll see how we go. You know, listeners, I hope you found this incredibly useful. I know that I certainly have from, from my perspective. And I know the insights that we've shared today have been really, really interesting. If anybody has any follow on questions or they would like to be even a guest on the show or they want to ask our guests some questions for next time, please reach out, drop us a line at podcasts at mavenlink.com, connect with us on LinkedIn, uh, follow Maven Link, follow myself, Matt Finch, and Brent Trimble, the two hosts of this uh, this show. Roger, Ray, Sean, any other final comments before we clock off today? Thank you, Matt. It's been a pleasure. Thank it's you. Been man. a lot of fun. Thanks, Matt. It's great. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. Take care. If you enjoyed this podcast, let us know by giving the show a five-star review on your favorite podcast platform and leaving a comment. If you haven't already subscribed to the show, you can do so anywhere you get your podcast on any podcast app. And to learn more about the transformative power of Mavenlink, go to mavenlink.com. Thank you for listening.